Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Brown. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, and Steve and his family, at certain points in time, will be on vacation for a few weeks. So uh, some men, he's asked some men to fill in, and uh, I'm one of them. So uh, as many of you know, the last few weeks we finished up VBS. Uh, he had, Steve had a video to play for you all. Um, I think it's going to be on YouTube. Um, but uh, one of the themes from VBS was that we are one race, the human race, and we are many nations, many peoples, but we all need one Savior. Um, And it ties in well to my sermon um, and recap of this past week, just as as Peter says, that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we have not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Glory be to God. That's awesome. That's just an amazing concept to think about, that we were born out of Adam as one race, and yet through the Tower of Babel spread out throughout the nations, and yet... Through Christ, we can all be gathered in again as God's family. Um, and so, um, ahora quiero empezar con mi mensaje. Buenos días. Estoy agradezco por la oportunidad de abrir la palabra de Dios con ustedes. Estoy empezando en español porque quiero compartir un, con ustedes un sabor pequeño como aparecerá en México. Y si has visto la, la palabra semanal, the weekly word, ya viste que yo hablando en español, pero también estoy reuniendo con Ariel y Marifera esta semana. Uh, espero que sí, que para repasar mi predicación, para mejorarla para cuando estamos en México. Pues, mi objetivo hoy, y lo tomo prestado de Eric Lawyer, quien ha predicado aquí anteriormente, es solo alentar a ustedes. Uh, espero que solamente alente a ustedes a probar y ver que es bueno el Señor como vamos a ver nuestro pasaje. Este, 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 este día vamos a encontrar nuestro aliento en los Salmos, específicamente el Salmo 34. El Salmo 34 está en la página 434 en la Biblia al frente de, de usted. Y mientras están encontrando nuestro pasaje, les quiero preguntar a ustedes, ¿quién ha manejado hasta las montañas? Alguna montaña, no, no se importa cualquier Uh, si es así, bueno, si es así, es posible que haya tenido, pues es, es cierto para, para ti, sí, eh, haya tenido la misma experiencia que tuvimos, eh, tuvimos pasar por el Parque Nacional eh, del Mar País, en del Cuda del Sur, la Cuda del Sur, y cuando entremos la área de Rapid City, tuvimos que pasar por el Parque Nacional del Mar País, the Badlands. Uh, las formaciones son maravillosas. Uh, de lejos, pero solamente pensé que fueran rocas. Eh, sin embargo, cuando visitamos el parque, pudimos ver, mientras acercábamos, que eran mucho más fascinantes que eran pensado originalmente. Y si preguntas a Thatcher, que fue su parte favorita del viaje, ¿qué vas a decir? Thatcher, ¿qué vas a decir? What, uh, what are you going to say? What is your favorite part from our trip to South Dakota? Badlands, right? El mal país. Yeah, uh, yeah Badlands. Mal país. Yeah, en español es mal país. Yeah, está bien. Ok, hay, hay estas mismas temas en nuestro texto. Pues, David nos invita acerca a Dios para ver tan maravillosa, tan maravilloso realmente es Él. Entonces, les quiero invitar, como David está diciendo en nuestro texto, a bendecir, a engrandecer a Dios por acercarnos a Él. Pues, vamos a orar. Voy a orar en inglés. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before you um, and just open your word. Thank you that we, uh, you have 
given us life, and yet uh, we have uh, spurned that gift um, in so many ways. We have rebelled against you, and yet you have not only provided a way, you have provided a way for us to be uh, made right with you and, and, uh, and also dwell with you forever. So what a wonderful gift that is. We pray, Lord, that you would help as we open up these wonderful uh, truths in the Psalms and Psalm 34 as we taste and see that you are good. Help us to know that uh, you have, you hear us, you provide for us, and you save us, Lord. We thank you uh, for your grace. We pray that you would be with me as I uh, speak from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would give me words and uh, grace today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I... Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I started my message in Spanish, um, just to give a a little flavor from uh, last Sunday and just uh, kind of um, in preparation for our trip to Mexico. We're leaving in two weeks. We're going to be gone um, from July 18th to August 2nd, and um, we are very excited, um, and it's just uh, I wanted to take an opportunity just to um, encourage, we're we're going to leave uh, on the on our trip to encourage the Mosers in Puerto Escondido in Mexico. And so um, they've invited me to, to preach during that time when I'm down there. And also, I was able to preach at IBC Dios de Amor this last Sunday evening. And so it was a wonderful time, a great time. Um, and uh, so just in preparation for that and, and to help me prepare, I wanted to get my introduction out one more time in Spanish. Um, but it's also to give you a little flavor about uh, what it will be like when we're in, in Mexico. Um, if you haven't read our article in the Weekly Word about our trip to Puerto Escondido, I would encourage you to do that. It's long, and so this is the too long, didn't read version. Um, it's uh, Crossways planted a church, the Crossway Network that we're um, affiliated with, has planted a church in a strategic location in Mexico in order to reach those who have never heard the gospel um, and uh, just to, to reach them with the gospel message. So we're super excited about our trip. We're looking forward to encouraging and serving and learning while we're there. And so uh, looking forward, we also hope to kind of establish a stronger bond uh, with the Mosers, with Rob and Maury. Uh, Rob and Maury, I'm sorry. And the people of Camino de la Cruz, um, along with the Crossway Network of Churches, so we can come alongside of them in order to see the great news of Jesus Christ go forward into all the nations. Um, and in preparation for that, and to strengthen ties in a similar vein with our brothers and sisters who were able to, to utilize the chairs that we replaced, I preached this exact same message in Spanish um, to IBC Dios de Amor um, just uh, last week, last Sunday evening. So it was, it was a wonderful time and uh, just really refreshing for us. Uh, it was a, a great reminder for me and I think for our family that the kingdom of God is bigger than just our local expression of the universal church here. Um, it was uh, it was wonderful to see uh, just the same gospel being preached in our city, and a reminder that it's being preached in our world in many different languages and uh, to many different peoples. Uh, it really drives the message of our VBS home. Gives us a glimpse of Revelation seven when every tribe and tongue and nation will worship Christ together, and what a wonderful time that will be. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you that don't speak Spanish, um, and for some of you who might have had uh, high school Spanish and caught a little bit about uh, of what I was getting at in my introduction, I'm going to go over it briefly again. Um, basically, my goal for the message and uh, just thinking about 
um, universal themes and in a variety of contexts how a sermon might serve a, a multitude of people, uh, just themes that are applicable cross-culturally. Um, um, the goal was in, to encourage, and I borrowed that from Eric Lawyer, who came and preached here last year. Um, just uh, his, he was, I was very encouraged by his message, and um, just that stating that goal up front, I think, was really helpful. And so I want to say that again, um, that I, hopefully these, these words are encouraging to you. Um, and so, just in starting my message, uh, I ask, who's driven towards any mountains? It doesn't matter what mountains. Have you driven towards mountains? There we go. There's a lot more hands this time. Oh, wow. Okay, well, good. Um, so if you have driven towards mountains, I, I'm pretty sure you've had this same experience that we had a few weeks ago when we were able to visit the Badlands, um, or Badlands area, kind of Black Hills area. It's actually where Steve and Yvonne are right now. They're on the other side of it than from where we were. But um, when, you, when you drive into where we were staying, it's Rapid City, South Dakota, uh, you have to drive past the Badlands National Park. And so as you're driving in... Um, you see, oh, maybe not. Um, you don't see uh, Venice. That's definitely not what you see. Um, maybe you see it. Well, anyways, I'll paint the picture for you. A word picture, if you will. Um, so you see the mountains from far away. And if you've driven towards mountains, you know, you're like, well, those are cool. Um, uh, that's, that's great. And so, but as you get closer to the mountains, so we had to drive past them, we actually were able to visit the park, and so as we drive closer to the, mount, uh, the Badlands, we got a, a greater glimpse of, of what these things, what these, uh, yeah, what these formations actually were. And they are just fascinating. You can see the layers. Um, it is, they, they are a lot bigger than they look um, when you're driving along the highway because um, you actually get to go down in through some of the formations. Uh, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And so, as we'll see in our text, David is calling us uh, just to, to bring ourselves close to God. To assert, he sought God, and, and God answered him. He, ta- he calls us to, to bring ourselves close to God, and we will see how great and how big and how wonderful God truly is. Um, and so... Uh, before we read the text, though, I'd like to just understand or take a moment to look at the structure and the content, the context of the passage. So we're in Psalm 34. It's, in, it's page 434 in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Um, it's also on page 435 if you missed the first verse. So um, you can find it there. Uh, Psalm 34. So um, one of One of the interesting things about this passage that you won't notice in uh, your Bible is that it's an acrostic poem. Um, Now, many of you, I'm sure, your children or you have studied poetry in school. Uh, I'm a teacher, and we study poetry. We have a poetry unit every year, and we study... uh, Oftentimes, we will have students compose acrostic poems. Now, um, I think... I think acrostic poetry may have gotten a bad rap. Um, because I'll, I'll share with you some of the examples of acrostic poetry that I, I've seen. This is not an, a literal example, but this is just something that popped up on Google Images. Um, so this is a, an acrostic poem for the word Yeti. And it starts, uh, Yogurt lover, elbows are big. They cannot read. Incredible. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, 
But when I think of poetry, I think of uh, just a capturing of emotions, of playing with language, uh, just whether that's uh, the rhyme or the meter or the rhythm of the words, um, just a way that expresses our emotions and our ideas in an artful way. And I, I, I think maybe you might agree with me that, that uh, when you think of acrostic poetry, this is probably what you think of. Um, but for David and the Hebrews, that uh, it, was, it was different, right? The poems, the poems in his time were not rhyme and rhythm and, and meter, but they were ideas and, um, and form. Excuse me. The ideas in the form were the part, were the real artistry, and so how David takes these ideas and this and and poetically expresses his ideas in this form. That is where the artistry lies. And the wonderful thing for us is that without having to know ancient Hebrew, we can interact with these things um, on a very deep level. And so that's I think it's providential, right, that God would would allow us to have these um, these thoughts and ideas and the structure. Um, be the artistry so that for us, thousands of years later, we can, we can be blessed and interact um, with these things. So it's the, um, some of you might have versions that have the letters of the Hebrew alphabet just for reference um, in front of each stanza, uh, but that's, that's, the con- that's, the sub- that's the structure of the poem, and so that's where the artistry lies, and I think this wonderful thing that we can interact with those things. So, the, the, so that's, the, con- that's the, the structure, and the context is right in the beginning, right in the subscript of Psalm 34. If you look, it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. It's, I think this is wonderful too. We have, uh, uh, with, with this poem, we have, we know the structure and we know the context and we can actually see the historical context because we have it written down. In First Samuel twenty-one through twenty-one through twenty-two, um, it's it's amazing. If you you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read read briefly from First Samuel twenty-one ten through twenty-two one, and it says, "And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land?'" Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So this psalm is written. So when this psalm is written, we can see that David is under a lot of stress, to say the least. He's suffering. He's fleeing for his life from Saul. And he has just been delivered, his life has just been saved by his quick thinking and by God's providence. So he had to flee from his home. He tried to lay low in Abimelech's court, which is just like, a, um, Abimelech is a word kind of like Pharaoh, that it's titular, like it's titular. Um, and uh, so, and even there, when he was laying low in, in the court of Abimelech, he, had, he barely escaped with his life. He had to kind of humiliate himself in order to get out of there. 
So when this psalm is written, it's possible to see David's situation might be similar to your circumstances. You might be running from something, from some circumstance or situation in your life. Um, You may have been humiliated or uh, just in a lot of stress. And so um, Psalm 34 is a poem that reveals to us the emotions of a child of God who is persecuted, who is in crisis, but who has been delivered miraculously. And it's a surprising thing in this text that while being persecuted and in his frustration from having been found out, that David would choose to bless God. Let's turn to our text. Psalm 34, if you're not there already, I'm going to read from it now. In this first section, verses 1 through 3, I would, uh, I would call it the call. And uh, so let's, let's read verses 1 through 3 together. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So, this first section I'm calling the call, uh, because um, it's David's opportunity to call people to worship the Lord. And I think almost every week when we gather here together, after the preparation music, I attempt a call to worship. Um, and it's just a, it's an opportunity to remind us why and who we have come to worship. And, and that's not always our natural inclination. And I think especially um, after we've had some kind of life-shattering or, or life-threatening event, we often... Um, how many times have you seen on a TV or, or movie where people, even cartoons, they'll kind of escape with their life and, and they'll be like, whew, and they'll kind of pat themselves down, and make sure they're still all intact, and they'll look around and, oh, and they say, thank God, right? And they're just kind of looking around like, oh man, but how often is that just lip service, right? It's easy for us to say, and difficult for us to have actual gratitude in our hearts towards God. Which is why we have the call to worship. It's an opportunity for us to align our hearts and our thoughts and our preparation music. It's an opportunity for us to align our hearts and our thoughts, our affections and our minds towards the one who is worthy of worship. Our worship in spirit and in truth. And David does something similar in Psalm 34. When he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So it's from this section that I draw the title of my message. Bless the Lord at all times. David begins with an attitude of praise and invites us to magnify the Lord with him. Now, I'm sure this is, this is an actual picture of the cave of Adullam. You can take a tour there, um, and uh, you can go inside and see what it was like. But I just want to take a minute, and, and I want you to think about David's circumstances, the context that we talked about. He's in this cave with his supporters, surrounded with his supporters, and yet, um, instead of uh, focusing on himself, it would be easy, right? It would be easy for him to just stop and take a minute and just really uh, turn inward. And yet, rather than uh, focusing on his individual circumstance, or even on him, his individual self, where it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. He immediately turns in verse 2 to everyone else, to the plural. 
kind of calling, he's calling others around him to praise God. He's recognizing that it was not his abilities that saved him. He's centering his praise on God. There's also an imperative in this section as well. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So along with the imperative, David gives us uh, many reasons and situations in which we are to fulfill the imperative. We're told to magnify the Lord with David and to exalt his name together. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, when in the context of God, it doesn't mean that we're making, like when we talk about magnify, we're not taking something small and making it look big, like a, like a magnifying glass or a microscope. Now, uh, it means to make something great and grand seem really as great and grand as it really is, like I alluded to in the mountains. Um, John Piper says that we should be like telescopes. Sorry. We should be like telescopes. Telescopes help us see something big and far away with much greater detail. So a magnificent planet looks like just a dot of light in the sky. If you go out tonight at dusk, you'll probably see the first star that you see will probably be a planet. And um, if you take even a hobbyist telescope, you can start to see some of the detail, some of the grandeur, some of the beauty that is one of, that is one of those planets. It's either, either Venus or Mars are usually the ones that you can see right at dusk. Um, we should do the same thing with God. We should take his characteristics, his work, and his person and magnify them, really shine them out to what they really are, um, to, be, to be as magnificent and wonderful as they truly are. And so it's the same idea in a similar vein. When David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, he can't, there's no really no blessing that David can give. But what he's really doing is he's acknowledging that God is the source of all good. God is the source of all good. And so when we bless him, that's what we acknowledge. So we recognize, when we magnify and bless God, we recognize that he is good. Everything he does is good and is for his glory and for our good. Therefore, the title of my message is, Bless the Lord at All Times. So in our text... David gives us the reasons that we've been called to bless God, to fulfill that imperative of bless the Lord at all times. The first of which we see in verses 4 through 7. It says, Let them be put to shame. That's the wrong verse 4, excuse me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. In these verses, we see one of the central reasons that David gives to bless God is because he hears us. David's testimony is found in verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So in in these four verses, we have a testimony of, of Uh, David's predicament and how God saved him. But it also uh, mentions God hearing uh, twice in just four verses. And so David demonstrates for us the search for God and the joy that comes when he finds him and when God responds. So in Hebrews 11, we see that David had faith in his search because uh, according to verse 6 in Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, 
It is impossible to please him, and for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when we search for God in faith and believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him, God responds. And, and um, also when we see, we'll see in a, in a few minutes that when we seek him with a poor, humble attitude, when we hear, oh, sorry, excuse me, God hears when we seek him in faith. And when we hear, we mean not just aware, like because he's omnipresent and so God hears everything everywhere. Um, it's uh, one of his in, incommunicable attributes. Um, but what, he, what David is really getting at is that David hears and responds. It's, it's like a conversation. Um, and he did. He responded to David. And so when his people pray to God in faith uh, for everything they need, according to his will, he will provide for his people. And so that brings me to my next point. The next reason that David gives uh, for us to bless the Lord. In verses 8 through 11, it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So this is, it is related to God hearing us. And yet, it's more specific, a little bit more detailed in saying that not only will he hear us and respond, but he not only responds, but he responds positively and provides for his people. So these words in uh, verses 8 through 11 sound uh, similar to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. There's even a, an analogy that, from nature. And so I think it would be helpful if we read those. Matthew 6, uh, Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 through 33, says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These words of Jesus sound similar to Psalm 34. I'm just going to read them one more time. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So there's two sides of the same coin in this analogy, uh, these two analogies from Jesus and David. On one side, we have an analogy from nature uh, from Jesus, where he compares um, the, the toiling of our labor uh, to uh, birds, right? God provides for the smallest of the small in nature. He provides for the, the smallest of birds. And aren't we much more valuable than them? God will provide for us. So that's, that's that one side of the coin. On the other side of the same coin is David's analogy from nature. He says that the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. So the young lions are in the prime of their life. They are the strongest. They are the most efficient. They are the most clever. They are the best hunters around. And yet, there are times when they can't find food. There are times when they are ravenous, when they are starving. They suffer from hunger. But there is nothing lacking for those who fear God. Just a, it's that same analogy from nature. So this truth that God provides for those that fear him has been a medicine for my soul in recent weeks. Um, just as a teacher... When you have summertime uh, come along, it's really um, easy for you to, easy for me at least, to take, kind of take a moment, take a breath, um, and really just think about your life choices. And how uh, um, it, during the summertime, uh, you think about your job and providing for your family. And as our family's growing, our expenses are also growing, and it's difficult for sometimes uh, my salary to keep up. And so I am tempted to worry and agonize over how uh, I will provide for my family. However, in my struggling and my floundering and in encouraging encouragement from my wife, um, just I've been reminded of God's provision for our family. God has been merciful to me in my struggle and my floundering, and he has also been faithful to provide not only what we need, but more than what we need. And I'm sure that whether your experience is the same as mine, um, or you're a single parent trying to make ends meet, or a retiree that's living off of a, a fixed income, then that same, that same assurance that if you fear God, then you will have that same experience. So I, I invite you, as David did in verse 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good, because blessed is the person who trusts in him. Now this assurance that God provides for us and hears us comes from a place of understanding our position before him. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is mentioned two times in these verses. And that brings me to the last reason in the last section of verses that David gives uh, to bless the Lord at all times. And that's God saves us. And we find that in verses 12 through 22. It says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. As Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in that same sense, I think uh, there is something surprising in these last 11 verses. Uh, because normally, I think it's our natural inclination, and it's my, it, was, it was my inclination as well, that when I read this passage, I imagine myself as the righteous. Uh, for example, verse 15, right? The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. I, I think that's me. Uh, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I read myself into that passage. Verse 19. Uh, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, um, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then verse 21. Right, Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. It's easy for us, I think, and it's natural for us to read ourselves into that part of the passage and to think that we are the righteous ones. Uh, However, in looking at this passage, I think it's important that, yes, it could be true of us. It very well could be. But we can't skip verses 12 through 16. Um, this, This is recognizing the truth of our situation. Right? Let's take a look. At verses, let's look at verse 12. Let's just read verses 12 through 16. It says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So, I'll just ask quickly, um, who wants life? Anybody in here want life? I, I see some hands down. I hope that just means you're... <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. Uh, sorry. Uh, verse 12. I'm a teacher. I, got, you know, I need that class participation. Anyways, um, uh, what man is there who desires life? Any, if you desire life, who, anybody want to see days that they may see good? Right? Want days that you may see good? Right. I hope um, everyone wants those things. Um, and you can put your hands down now. Let's look at the description of those righteous whom God will deliver. What do they do? In verse, let's look at verse 13, right? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now, you don't have to raise your hands at, on, on this question. But who has kept their tongue from evil? Who has never lied, never spoken deceit, right? Uh, verse 14 says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and follow it. Who's done that every single time? Who's turned from evil? Who's done the good every time? Who's sought peace and followed it? And verse 16 says uh, the fate of those who fail to live up to this standard. It says that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So here, when we know our state before a holy God, 
our hearts break. Like it says in verse 18. Verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I think in order for us to read ourselves into the passage, we have to start here. We have to cry out to God for help. And verse 17 and 18 say that God will hear us. And he responds. He has responded in providing a way of salvation for us. I think David, with us having the knowledge of the history of salvation, now that we can look back on the entire, both Old and New Testament, we can see that David was inspired by the Holy Spirit, changes the subject in verses 19 and 20. He goes from plural to singular. And it's a a prophecy of Jesus. And John picks that out. Um, We can see in John 19, verses 19 and 20, that these verses, or John 19, excuse me, 32 through 36, that verses 19 and 20 are prophesying about Jesus. I'm going to read from John 19, verses 32 through 36. It says, this is uh, during the crucifixion of Jesus. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. That is the, the first man who was on the cross, or on a cross next to Jesus. And of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now John, John is referencing Psalm 34. He knows that Jesus is the righteous one. He is the one who can read himself perfectly into these passages. He is the one who has lived the righteous life, who has kept his tongue from speaking evil and turned from deceit. He turned away from evil. He's done good all the time, sought peace, pursued it. And he has graciously offered us the gift to be our substitute. He lived perfectly. He was the one against whom the Father turned his face in verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And the Father turned his face away. The one who, Jesus is the one who took the wrath of God onto himself and sacrificed himself on the cross on our behalf. That is such good news. Because now, if you trust in Jesus and believe that he is your substitute, all of the calls, all of the righteousness and salvation and deliverance and provision that Psalm 34 uh, promise apply to you. And not only that, but we have the gift of Christ's Holy Spirit to give us power to live the lives of the righteous, to live holy lives. And Peter uses this psalm in explaining to his audience when he's writing to the church in Asia, uh, churches in Asia Minor that uh, in 1 Peter 3, that they should live sanctified lives. He uses Psalm 34 um, to lay out how we have power through Christ to live sanctified and holy lives. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we have spiritual life through Jesus Christ. 
by his work, we can live sanctified lives, knowing that God hears us, that God provides for us, and that God saves us. Therefore, at all times and in all circumstances, we can say with David that we are going to bless the Lord at all times. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of salvation that you have provided for us, that uh, you hear us, you provide for us, and you save us, Lord. We are so thankful that we have Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for your work and for your work in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we go from this place. that we might bless you at all times, in all circumstances. I do pray for those who are brokenhearted, who are crushed in spirit, that they may be encouraged by these words uh, and uh, in turn bless your name. We thank you for this time. We do pray for our fellowship dinner that is uh, approaching. I just pray that you would bless the food to our bodies, bless our time of fellowship. May we glorify you. Thank you that you are good. All you do is good and for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.